welcome to learn a little show you know check us out anywhere there are podcasts youtube you name it and i just wanted to let you guys know quickly what is this show about where you're going to get from it research has shown that about half of people go on to listen to podcasts because they want to learn something and another half want to be entertained while you know learning something with this show i want it to be fun you know for me and the guest and for people listening in so there's generally a lot of laughs there's a lot of fun but the ultimate goal is for everyone to take something away from these calls these interviews whether it's just like a factoid whether it's a story whether it's something that they can apply to their life and at the same time get to know someone new you know each guest is doing something really fantastic and so listening in you get to learn about them and so you definitely check that box for you know learning something new and for entertainment try my best to make it fun for the guests and myself and hopefully for you guys as well but that's really the goal of each episode be 50 percent learning and 50 percent fun today we are joined with jabron we're going to talk about sleep primarily, but we also get into cryptocurrencies and a variety of other topics. This is a more of a long form interview than what you've seen before. But if you're looking to learn something new, be entertained and uh, get to know someone for the next hour or so, then stay tuned because Javon's a great person to listen and hear. And without further ado, let's get into it. First question for you, and this I think will be more of a fun one because uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn and sometimes I look at, I look at so many LinkedIn's and um, and sometimes they put things in their bios where it's like, what does this mean? Like, and, and so I just wanted to like quote a section of your bio and just have you explain it. Because, <laughs> because, because like, I'm sure like it makes sense to you, but like, I'm just like, there's so many things that this could be. So like you, when it said like what you're really passionate about, and it makes sense, like I know who you are. I think like I can draw this the line through it, but I'm curious, the, the, the sentence is like consolidating health tech, healthcare wellness services mm. and operational uh, ingenuity. And so that's, mm. that's a, that's a pretty good spaghetti and field of uh, industries to be really excited about. So I'm curious, like, how do you, like, what does it mean to you? And what, like, I guess to some extent, like, what do you want people to take away from when they, when they read something like that, when they, when you're trying to really kind of give people a sense of who you are? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on here. Uh, I feel very special getting to have a recorded conversation with you uh, unlike the previous conversations which were unrecorded um and, and so yeah <laughs> um so my, my linkedin profile yeah i so I, I kind of generally if you look at any um social platform that i'm on including linkedin i t i mean if you look at my profile picture it's pretty unprofessional <laughs> it's just like a <laughs> it's just like a, a, a self, like a picture that i took of me um like on a google meet call or something but um, yeah, so there, there's kind of three components there, um, and they all three relate to kind of the new thing that I'm wanting to build in the healthcare space. So um, my current startup is called Sehatu Sleep. We are looking at how to resolve people's sleep concerns and also um, do it in a way that advances how healthcare works. And so what I'm really interested in trying to figure out is in healthcare, there's a lot of problems. Um, institutional healthcare has a lot of problems. Medical insurance has a lot of problems. And um, independent clinics, medical clinics that help people, you know, with either primary care or specialty care, they also have a lot of problems. And so, what I want to be able to figure out is how do I solve some of those problems in the context of providing sleep care? So focusing on sleep as the medical concern, and then how do I change what the experience is like in receiving that care so that it um, solves a lot of those things that I don't like about conventional healthcare solutions. And so I, I've mentioned health tech in the bio, 
and um, operational ingenuity and, and wellness. Um, all three of those relate to what we want to do with sleep in the sense that in health tech, there's a lot of ways that they're not ready yet, but there's a lot of ways that are being developed to track sleep and to measure objectively what somebody's sleep is like and how it's improved or, you know, try to quantify what certain elements of your sleep are like. Maybe you can track when you wake up and when you go to sleep or whether you had a certain number of interruptions or maybe if you were snoring. And so all of that type of data um, can be tracked. And um, so, some things like REM sleep, people say they can track, but I, I have my doubts. I, you have to track brain waves and a lot of sleep trackers can't really do that. Um, but um, so, so like working with the health tech is I think really important for us. And so what I want to be able to do is take that and put it into the equation um, with how we help people with sleep symptoms is, is look at health trackers, sleep trackers, and um, be able to recommend good ones and be able to use that data to help people with their sleep problems when they come to us. Um, the second side to that is kind of like wellness services. So this, this might be kind of, um, this, this is kind of a big one, but I'll try to be really specific. Um, in healthcare, you have medical level help and medical level help kind of relies on doctors and doctors have very limited bandwidth. They're super busy. Everybody wants their attention and they don't have that much time. So they end up seeing people um, not very often a year, if at all. And they see people for a little bit of time and they rely on a team to help them take care of a patient's needs. But the problem in there is that people need someone to hold their hands sometimes and they need somebody to talk to um, and ask questions, follow-up questions, or have educational resources or you know, um, troubleshooting for something as time goes on. And a doctor's time is so limited that getting access to a doctor is difficult um, when those situations arise. Mm -hmm. But on the other end of the healthcare spectrum, um, which is growing, but hasn't yet received the same amount of respect or the spotlight on, is health coaches. People who essentially provide healthcare services, but aren't physicians. They're not from a hospital or they're not like, you know, a specialty, um, you know, uh, practice in, in the medical clinic world. And these are people who might be nutritionists or, you know, um, yoga instructors, mental health, um, you know, movement coaches, a, a whole variety of, of people. And what I think would be useful um, based off of just what I've seen in our space, especially in the context of sleep, is if we could partner with those coaches and um, allow people to have access to coaches and to the doctor um, as needed. When, you know, so when they can see the doctor when they can see the doctor, but then they have access to a health coach um, when they need ongoing support or they need someone to talk to or uh, work on um, non diagnosis type of problems. So they've been diagnosed by a doctor, for example, um, hey, you have insomnia. Hey, this is what you need to do. This is how we're going to do it. I've checked your health, uh, your sleep tracker and see that this is, you know, data that shows me uh, XYZ about your insomnia. But um, now I'm busy. Uh, and I've figured out what is the problem and what you need to do. Here's a health coach that I know is trustworthy, um, can help you with maybe, maybe like yoga, yoga in the context of sleep, or fitness in the context of losing weight or um, you know, mindfulness. And that person can be a great resource for you. And they can also relate to me information that I need to discuss with you on our next medical visit. And so 
that's kind of, I guess I, I, I wanted to be specific, but that's kind of a long way of saying that's a health tech then being partnered with wellness services like health coaching. And then operational ingenuity is just like the glue that is like a general reference, like the glue of like making this whole thing work. Um, if it works is, um, you know, if we can combine medical care with health tech and health coaching and do it all in a way that works for a patient seamlessly, um, that would be operational ingenuity. So that is what I intend to mean with my bio, <laughs> but um, yeah, I know it's a little opaque. No, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, if you can, especially in the, the health field, any of them, wellness, uh, seeing a doctor, any of that stuff, uh, if you can make it not painful, like you've, you've already improved people's lives. And for people out there, sometimes health tech and health related matters, like it, it's not maybe something in your daily life. Sleep affects everyone. So that's what I'm really excited about this conversation. But um, a lot of times when you start seeing the doctor, it's when you're kind of on the older side, right? Like there's a, a lot, a long period of time where it's like, check up, you're doing good, come back later. So you don't really have the part where there's something wrong and you need that extra help. Um, and even, even like, you know, insurance companies are kind of getting, they do a lot of weird things. Like there, I think there's like one insurance company that's trying to uh, look, they're, they're, they're going to deny your emergency room visit if they think it wasn't warranted and no one else mm -hmm. gets a say in it. It's like, Mm -hmm. they don't know you know you don't know any better like if you're hurting you need to go to emergency room that's like the only calculation that people can make you know when they're not medical professionals but so i think just the the quality of life upgrade of just trying to like seamlessly integrate stuff and give people the support the impact it can have on people is i i think you know cannot be overstated i'm curious what what was the experience that made you pick sleep and pick this in particular if there was one and um if you can kind of like walk us through it yeah, yeah. And uh, by the way, I think I know which insurance company you're talking about. Um, I, I was kind of trying to decide before this if I want to name names and call people out. So like typically when I talk about healthcare, I can be relatively abrasive because I get really tough on what the conventional practices are in the world of healthcare. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of healthcare is a whole mess, man. But um, I'm sure we'll talk about some of those things. Um, oh, yeah, I guarantee it. <laughs> wrote the number. <laughs> Feel free to tangent. We can, I, I, I have a, um, I'll make a note to ask you about the experience, but if there's something about health yeah. insurance companies in particular, that's, uh, that's striking right now, happy to go into it. Well, um, I can tie it into why I'm in the sleep space. So my background is not in healthcare. Um, my background is also not in, you know, uh, wellness services or health tech. Um, my background is, I mean, basically rooted in, in, in tech or in, in, in high tech. And um, however, I have, I have two parents, my, my, mom, my mom and my dad. And my mother is a yoga instructor and a meditation instructor. And my father is a physician. He's a board certified neurologist and a board certified sleep specialist. And so over the years, um, I have heard from both of them about, hey, these are good things that are happening in this space. These are good things I've been able to do for people I care for, um, my clients or patients. Here are like common problems I see. Here are like things that I do differently that no one else does that make a lot of sense. And um, over the course of these years, as I've heard these things, seed has been slowly planting in my head. And, and I've, um, while I've never intended on entering the health space, uh, we, I started you know, just discussing with both of them. I started seeing how important um, these problems are and how important these solutions are and how impactful they can be. And um, specifically in the world of sleep, because conventionally, if you have a problem with sleep, 
um, you kind of go to one of those three, uh, you know, solutions that I, I kind of mentioned before. So one is the medical world, one is the health tech world, and one is the wellness or health coaching world. And all three of those have problems where um, the, the quality of care that you can get from all three of them isn't very good. But the severity of the sleep problem is, is really, really high. So, I mean, um, I think there's a statistic from the CDC. I think it's something around 30% of everybody, the world, every, every person, um, or the, uh, the whole population, 30% of people have some sort of sleep problem that they're struggling with on a regularly consistent basis. So that might be insomnia, sleep apnea, might be nightmares, might be you know uh, being a night owl and not being able to work that into your schedule, um, that your, your, your regular life. And so um, this causes problems for your uh, person's daily life. And it also is, is a massive hit to the economy. People don't realize how much value um, globally is lost because people have problems with their sleep. There's billions of dollars that are being lost um, in terms of value produced at work and um, you know, the quality of life that people have because sleep, if, if you're not familiar, um, is essentially the maintenance phase of our life. When we go to sleep, our bodies and our mind are doing all this work to get us to function really, really well. And this type of work is necessary to prevent chronic illnesses, to prevent um, you know, uh, things like memory loss, um, things like dementia, things like cancer are um, tough to fight against unless your maintenance phase is working at its best. And interruptions to your maintenance phase and disruptions and behavioral changes that cause um, you know, uh, an inconsistent maintenance phase will create health problems that might not be readily available, readily um, you know, viewable, I guess, but will come on later in life. And so you know, these are things that I, I had heard over the years from, from both my mom and my dad. And I'm like, wait, this thing is huge. <laughs> like sleep is so important. Why aren't people getting like a really good help for it? And so going back to the three ways that people do get help for it, Healthcare institutions, um, the medical world um, is, you know, and I don't have an answer to why, but they don't invest in providing help for sleep. Um, I guess I'll name some names. Uh, your healthcare institutions like Mercy, Kaiser, Sutter, um, they have, they, you know, they'll, they'll do billions of dollars in revenue um, a quarter. And, um, you know, so that translates to maybe hundreds of millions in, in net profits. Um, by the way, some of them are nonprofits, et cetera. We can, we can talk about that later, but um, they don't invest in creating solutions for people who have sleep problems. The quality of care is so poor that if, you, if you're in Kaiser, for example, and you say, hey, uh, I have this problem with sleep, you'll be sent to a pulmonologist um, who focuses on, on, on the lungs, um, or you might be sent to like a meditation instructor. But no one specializes in like what is going on with sleep. You know, how do you how do I assess and then come up with a treatment plan that really works for you? Um, so it's it's very like superficial level of care. It's like a checkbox that someone said, oh yeah, send them to this XYZ person who doesn't really know all about sleep, but you know, it's good enough. So it's really confusing why healthcare institutions aren't providing that level of care, um, especially when they're spending a ton of money on cancer centers and et cetera, you know, five, five star treatment for other things. Um, and so people go to healthcare institutions and the system fills them. Um, the second way people get help is health tech, uh, mobile apps, sleep trackers. These are ways that people try to self-assess and self-resolve their sleep problems. But 
um, sleep trackers aren't really advanced enough yet to be able to provide you actionable insights um, or reliable data for certain parts of your sleep. Um, but what it shows us is that people want to try to self-help, like use self-help to figure out what's going on and, and, and fix it. Um, the other issue is that these apps and trackers are fully automated and don't provide a personalized solution for your specific sleep problem in the context of your life. And so there's something useful there, but it's not good enough <laughs> on its own. Um, and then the third way people try to get help with sleep is like, you know, what I mentioned previously, health coaches, wellness services, um, go to a meditation instructor, try yoga classes, have a fitness instructor, um, somebody who might have reliable or unreliable knowledge of sleep. It's uncertified. Um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people out there who call themselves sleep consultants or sleep coaches whose information, when I've reviewed it, is not really accurate. But you know, people go to them because I don't know where else to go. I need to go to somebody for help, and, and they, that's that's where I go. And so there's these three kind of solutions that are conventionally where people go to for sleep help. And sleep is so important and such a big problem that. Um, it makes sense to create a solution that one consolidates the best of those three solutions and provides a level of help that is beyond what those three can provide independently and actually helps people uh, resolve or treat their specific problems in a way that is knowledgeable and, and, and certified. So that's, that's why, <laughs> that's why I think sleep is important and why I want to do something in this space. Imagine it, it uh, just on one element that I'm thinking of at, at the tail end is the, instead of having to go through so many, like this, this year I got a new insurance plan, just as a personal uh, story. The, um, and I saw so many different doctors because not all doctors are created equal for people out there. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, the law of averages basically is like, when you see a doctor, there's a good chance that person's below average. And so do you want, do you want someone below average being like, you don't have cancer come back in a year. So like I saw a bunch of doctors to just find the, the right ones to see people. And so, it, you know, similarly in the wellness space, when you, when you don't have people certified, you don't know who you're going to get. I imagine like having this ability to kind of uh, interweave everything into a system where people can know like, Hey, these people are, are validated. These people are trusted. And, you know, here are the people that have also been taken care of in this way. That takes a lot off of it because it is, it is hard to basically speed date a bunch of doctors in the hopes that you can kind of suss out uh, if they're good or not. And that's really hard to do. You know, it's really hard to tell because I mean, their whole life is, they know the technical stuff. It's like, talk to someone who, uh, you know, was in that, you know, somewhat of an expert in their field and they've learned all the jargon to kind of make it seem like they're an expert in their field. So you kind of like have to know someone who can really get into the, the grime on that. Um, you know, similarly to the insurance issue, the, you know, the, I'll, I'll say this, like insurance used to be worse like in the u.s <laughs> but uh i literally i've been reading this uh we're gonna talk about books later but i've been reading a bunch of books on like the ada and like the health reform in the u.s and it's like some of the stuff i, I was already aware of like um like if you had a pre-existing condition you couldn't get out but uh, uh like some stuff like like the fact that we used to have insurance lifetime caps so like like let's say you have like a, a you know you have something with blue cross and they're like, we will cover you for 2 million. And after that, you're on your own. You're off. <laughs> get out of here. Mm -hmm. Don't get sick again. And you have to get another plan. But then get another plan. They're like, oh, you already rang up a thing over here, which mm -hmm. is quite insidious of itself because 
the prices themselves are inflated. So it's not like things actually cost $10 it, when in, you know, or a thousand dollars when it should cost like 10. Um, so you're paying like above and you have a cap and like, Oh, it just sounded so horrible. Like there was a person with like hemophilia that by the time that they were 15 already met the cap and couldn't get insurance again, but that was before this existed. But, uh, I, I have a, a funny, uh, uh, story. So I was reading a book on grant and then I'm curious, like what other kind of similar anecdotes you have around the sleep space that, um, kind of like you, you think about a lot as you interact with people and help them try to understand the importance of sleep. But so someone was talking to Grant, uh, who, if people don't know, he was a president and he was like the Supreme leader during the civil war. And he went from like being like nobody to being Supreme leader, which is pretty cool. But, uh, someone said like, you know, Napoleon only slept like four hours a night. And Grant was like, no, he didn't. Like, I guarantee like he may have been four hours a night, but he probably like made up for it in other ways. Like, cause Grant would do the same thing. He would sleep a little bit at night. And then he would like, he just like randomly fall into a barrel and just, like take a nap throughout the day. So he'd end up having the eight hours or whatever he needed. But, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious, are there other, uh, you know, similar stories or, you know, uh, anecdotes that you, you found to be really effective in helping people kind of appreciate the significance of, of sleep? Because e- even though it does account for, you know, roughly a third of people's lives, I, I do agree. Like sometimes people just don't really appreciate the significance it has on their lives when it's not, not well. Yeah, yeah, um, and 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 it, I mean it's funny to think about or like even uh, you know quote unquote supreme leaders or you know, um, generals or um, people from the past who um, it's hard to really verify how much of their um, sleep and wake schedule is true. Um, I mean, except for their own documentation and, and what people observed. But as as I see, so before I say anything, I, I forgot I should mention um, nothing I say here is considered medical advice. I'm not a <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not, I'm not a physician, um, but um, think, think of it this way. Um, if, if the, so a lot of people recently on Reddit after, after, you know, say on Reddit, I've seen a lot of discussion about how people want to try polyphasic sleep cycle, or they want to optimize their sleep and figure out some way, some like some something that's hidden that they're not told that they can like do to their sleep that makes it supercharged and allows them to function at some superman level um the first thing we need to look at is how the human body is designed um what is is the function of sleep and what is nature's way of making sleep work the best and science will tell you human history will tell you that um one humans are designed to sleep at night when it's dark. Um, so sleeping during the day, it's not gonna be as restful as sleeping during the night. Um, sleep for, for creative people who might be night owls um, and then catch up with sleep during the day, their sunlight exposure is significantly reduced. And sunlight or daytime, daylight is really, um, is needed. Our, our bodies crave that because without that, um, we have an increased potential for, you know, mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you try to change what nature tells us to do, oh, I want to sleep during the day and sleep during the night, um, there are problems that you may not foresee that can come up. Um, you know, another, another aspect of like why sleep is, um, how sleep is designed, uh, you know, is we are not um, designed to sleep in multiple phases. We are designed to sleep in one continuous um way because our body goes through different stages of sleep and to artificially cut up those stages and act like you're going to go you know sleep again later and just 
magically start where your sleep phase was and end where it needs to be is um, is presumptuous. It, it's you can't really calculate those types of things. Your body is going to do what it's going to do when it is designed to do it. Um, and and trying to trying to hack that is uh, I think unproductive. I think people are much better off understanding how their body works, what nature tells us the body is designed to do, and then optimizing that. So sleep at night, sleep as long as your body wants to. Um, you know, don't uh, don't don't try to come up with ways to interrupt that or 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 mess with that. Um, you know, one one of the things that I want like. I have a lot. I, I was learning about sleep as I was building this and um, looking online, you know, like Reddit or Twitter or YouTube. Um, there's some people who talk about sleep, some some really great people, but there's not really uh, a reliable source of continuous education and resources that helps people understand how sleep works, why it is that way, and you know what happens if this happens, etc. And so that was something that I wanted to incorporate with with Sahat to Sleep. And so we put out free educational content and resources all the time, everywhere on every platform, your favorite, your favorite app, um, and you, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, everything. And um, that's one way that I hope that I can learn more about sleep and I can help other people learn more about sleep. Like why does sleep paralysis happen? Uh, why does sleep walking happen? What happens if you're sleep talking? Or, like what if you interrupt someone while they're sleepwalking? Is that bad? Um, and like, why does that happen? And how can I stop that? These are all kinds of things that we put out content for. I, it might not be appropriate for me to explain or answer all those questions because I have medical experts that are better at that, and we've turned that into content. But, um, but yeah, you know, if if you want to learn more about those types of things, follow Sahat to Sleep on your favorite social place. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting story. I think it's at the early 1900s. There's this great detective who was going on vacation, and he goes to this town like she's renowned, like everyone in France knew this guy. He was like the homes of France. And uh, there was a murder uh, the day before he was on vacation in this area. And, and he's just kind of walking by on the beach. And like, you're, you know, you're Holmes. I forget his name. Someone call him Holmes. And uh, they're like, yep. And he's like, well, we have a case. You want to, yeah, yeah, I'll go look at it. And so he looks at it. He's like, okay. He looks at the scene, that dead person, um, tracks, all these other things. And uh, so he's looking at, and they're like, oh, we've been through all this. And he's like, did you walk over there? And cause like, it looks like it came from over there, like, you know, washed up on the, on the, on the shore. And so he goes up the shore and, and they're like, oh yeah, we definitely didn't go over here. Cause there's new tracks <laughs> that lead out to where a car was. And he, he, they, they pl- uh, pour some mold into the shoe. The shoe. Anyone's a Bigfoot fan or anything like that, you know, they put the mold and get the giant big feet. And so they have an impression of the, of the, of the, the shoe of the person. And he looks at it and he gets really quiet. And he, um, and, he, and they're like, what, what's wrong? And he's like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think we need to see more stuff. And so they, they think there's, they don't know who it is. They can't crack it. And they're like, will you help us solve this case? And he's, he's like, you know what? Uh, I think I can solve it. And so um, he comes in, he goes home, he, he comes back and um, he looks at more of the evidence and eventually he says, he says, all right, I can tell you who did it. And they're like, okay, sweet. Cause like, we have no idea. Like we were about to like shelf this and walk away. And uh, so he's like, I did it. And like, what? You're, like this guy can't have done it. Like he's, you know, he's, he's Holmes. How, why would Holmes kill someone? He's like, 
uh, I think I was sleepwalking. I don't know what it is, but like that shoe is my shoe. The dirt on my shoe is at home was the matching of that shoe. Um, um, and so he basically sleepwalked, went out there and killed this person and <laughs> went back to his thing <laughs> without realizing it. And he just like locked me up. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. And they thought like, oh, maybe he had a guilty conscience and uh, he's just trying to like get ahead of it, which is kind of funny because they would have just gone away anyway. But uh, so they, they lock him in this thing and they watch him and they put like a knife in there to see what he would do. And no, they put a gun in there with empty bullets, like blanks to see what he would do. And like three days later, he grabs the gun and starts emptying the gun at the guard <laughs> randomly while he's oh, sleeping. No. And he was like, oh, okay, no. so uh, it's sleep related. But uh, so that's a kind of a fun uh, story about, you know, the things you can do while sleeping if it's not done, uh, if you, you have some imbalance there. But I'm curious, just like that's, on that's a, rare. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I, the extremes are fun. But so uh, personally for you, have you experienced like a, like people talk about this and it's elusive. Like when I wake up, I just, I wake up and it's like neutral. I'm ready for the day. But do you feel like generally well rested when you wake up in the morning, especially with someone who's like running a startup and he's doing all these things like. Well, um, so part of my like self-improvement process has definitely been um, significantly affected by working on this type of um, like this type of uh, company. Um a lot of my life has been a night owl type. So, you know, um, what's really important for me is momentum. And when I have momentum, I just like, if I'm working on something, if I'm building something, if I'm being creative um, and I'm going, like I will keep going until eventually I hit like a, all right, time to knock out. <laughs> um, and that has its, has its problems. But one of the problems was that, you know, I would, um, get hit a stride at like 8, 9, 10 p.m. And I'd be like, oh, I'm building this thing. And oh, okay, now here's, here's how to do the next thing. And um, my, my brain is just flowing and, and all, everything is pumping. But um, at some point it's like 2 a.m. And I'm like, oh, wait, oh, and you know, I'm, I'm messing up my sleep schedule. I'm gonna have to like stay up uh, or I'm gonna have to go to like stay asleep when it's still like 10 a.m. or something. And the sun's gonna be out and it's gonna be hot and you know, it's gonna be really bright. Um, and it took me to work on this company to be like, uh, that should change. Um, and so I tried it. Um, I, I, I took my own medicine and I felt a lot better. Um, you know, going to sleep earlier has been really impactful. Um, waking up. So I, I should preface this, but, you know, with one thing is there's this notion that like waking up at five, six, you know, four, five, six AM is the best way for, for leaders to be awake. Um, you got to wake up super, super early um, before the crack of dawn to be like a really effective and, and sharp leader. I disagree. Um, I think if you sleep enough and well enough um, and don't wake up at 4 a.m. and instead wake up at 8 or 9 a.m., you're still going to be a great person, very sharp. Um, and that's what might be best for you. There isn't like a one-size-fits-all kind of approach. Um, and and, and that's also how it is um, kind of for me. So I don't wake up at four, five, six a.m. Um, but I sleep when it's dark and I wake up when, 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 it's, when it's the morning. And after I kind of switched out from mostly a night owl type of schedule, um, I did notice that when I wake up, I'm a lot more sharp. Um, but, you know, I, I, I still have a lot of uh, health kind of tests that I'm doing on myself and figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to who, how self-aware are you? How much do you know about how well you feel in the morning or how, how you sleep at night? 
And if it looks like, or if you feel like, hmm, I keep wanting to stay up really late and then wake up later, um, maybe there's some way to keep that feeling and make some adjustments so that you feel actually even better, um, if, if, if that makes sense. No, uh, I, it makes 100% sense. The, uh, I used to stay up for weeks at a time just solving oh, problems. No. <laughs> and uh my my now wife she was uh, my girlfriend at the time um we, she we, we like bumped into each other we were in college at the time and uh and she's like lol have you eaten and i won't eat either i'll just like be a zealot this is very many years ago i'm like slowly i've gotten better but like i would i would like i was like no i ate with you yesterday and she's like lol that was a week ago i was like oh yeah <laughs> i guess i should eat <laughs> so it's oh, like, what are you doing <laughs> yeah it's so uh, i I think of it like, um, like it's almost like an addiction when you're, when you're, when you're solving a problem, when you're like really starting in the flow of it. It's so, it's like, it's like when you're anyone who's really read a book and someone just like grabs that book and rips it out of your face, like how painful that is. Like imagine the opposite of that. Like that's how kind of great it feels. But, uh, I'm curious in that corrective recognizing, you know, for yourself that, you know, maybe doing that is not great. And it does sound like you didn't go weeks at a time, which is good. You know, uh, I'm curious, how did, how have you, how have you corrected that? Cause that's, that's a negative habit or like a bad habit as you, uh, uh, so I'm curious, how have you, like when you, when you start cycling back into it, cause like, I think of like habits, like, uh, roads on the, like roads in your mind. And so even though you're trying to build a new road, sometimes it's like, man, why I want to go on this dirt patch when I can go on this nice paved highway to where I want to go, even though, you know, there's like, I don't know, like a, a guy on a gun waiting to get you there, which is a bad habit. Um, so how, do, how have you been able to reinforce building this new highway versus like reuse an old one? And uh, generally, like, how has that process been for you? Yeah, um, I like that question. Uh, well, so first of all, on your weeks at a time staying awake. Um, it was not good. Definitely not good. But also, um, you weren't awake for all that time. Uh, the, the brain has kind of like an automatic switch where, um, you know, if you are sleep deprived, you might not even notice it at times, like mm -hmm. in the moment. But you, your brain will automatically kind of go into like mini sleep, emergency sleeps. Um, you know, so if, if you've ever uh, stayed up all night or woken up super, super, super early and not had enough sleep and you're in your car and you're driving and you kind of just like become self-aware and you're like, wait, I don't know what just happened. Like I was at my house and now I'm over here at like the office and um, something happened in between. Uh, there, there are moments where, you your brain literally went into sleep mode like very mm -hmm. quickly just as like an emergency switch and um by the way that's also one of the major causes um of, of car accidents of fatal car accidents um but yeah, i don't recommend uh, it yeah. don't, don't do it yeah it's, it's uh, much nicer not to be doing it <laughs> and so yeah like part of the reason like why um i i wanted to change some of that for myself is because i began to internalize the long-term effects um and I rationalized the, the, the short-term effects. So if I had stayed up whenever, like as much as I enjoyed having that momentum continued, um, one of the common problems with creatives and founders is that um, the brain is like always running and it kind of always has, feels like it has to be running because there's a million problems. There's a trillion fires to put out and you're always thinking about the future and everything is happening all at once. And when, when you're in that mode, um, it's hard to shut off. And shutting that off is the primary requirement to go to sleep. So if your brain is constantly active and you can't shut it off, well, then your momentum takes you and then maybe you end up like low and stay awake for a long time. 
this was five years um, ago, but don't, yeah. <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so can't emphasize enough not to, not to do yeah, this. Do, but, don't do it. I didn't like it. It just yeah. felt and, good and, to solve problem, problem solve. And, and that's, that's kind of what, what happened to me as well as I like rationalized like, oh, wait, um, at night, like it kind of feels good to have the momentum, but in the morning and in the midday, like I don't feel sharp. <laughs> like I feel dull. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the, the waves in my brain aren't, aren't very, I don't feel like I'm totally here. Um, it takes me a long time um, if I stay up and then wake up late to actually feel like I'm ready to be sharp again. And it was kind of like a perpetual cycle where like, well, because I stayed up late last night um, and I had this momentum, uh, now the whole day I'm kind of just like dull. And then I'm again, sharp at night. And um, I didn't like wasting the whole day. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of felt like I was performing under what I have the potential to do. Um, but the other side to that was like internalizing the long-term effects. Um, it can be tough as a startup founder. For anyone who's listening, if you are a founder or you're working on these types of problems, um, like I know the pressure is on to, to get these done quickly and um, you know actually come up with a solution. But in the long-term, we're, we're setting ourselves up for some pretty severe consequences. Um, and the human body is pretty strong. Like we can withstand anything for a short amount of time. Um, if, if you stayed up for, you know, 72 hours once, you're not going to, you know, die suddenly, hopefully, but, um, but the human body can rebound from that. But once that becomes a habit, um, we're setting ourselves up for mental illnesses and, mm-hmm. you know, the potential for chronic illnesses and shorter memory loss or, or, or shorter, um, you know, less short-term memory retention or long-term memory retention. Because what I realized is that, um, when we're asleep, our memories are literally be so, being sorted like cabinets. So if anyone's watched that SpongeBob episode where I'm going to reference SpongeBob, but um, there's a, there's a uh, episode where in SpongeBob's head, you just see like all the little mini SpongeBob's at their desks and everything is on fire and he's panicking. And there's no, like, there's a bunch of papers everywhere and no one's sorting anything. That's kind of what happens when you don't sleep is everything that you've been experiencing during the day and what you need to remember for the next day. Um, is being sorted while we're asleep. And unless we sleep enough at the right time in the right way, um, we don't have that kind of access to what we need to know or what we need to remember. And that becomes a problem when you're a founder uh, because then you can't make sharp decisions. Um, you can't rem- have strong memory recall and figure out what you were talking with. You know, Oh, I was talking about this with my developer yesterday and my, now my memory retention is problematic because I have to like, ask him every everything that's going on i don't know that's that's just how i felt mm-hmm. um so part of the solution um that's kind of a roundabout way is um if the problem is that your brain is just running your mind is really active when you know you want to go to sleep the key is to learn how to shut off that noise how do you shut off that noise without using a chemical um, without using some sort of harmful um, substance so that could be, you know, some, some people use alcohol to shut off their brain. Some people take, you know, a medication, like a prescription. And um, our philosophy is that those things don't work. For most people, that's not the healthy way to go about it. Um, what we can do is actually use specific techniques to practice and train the mind on how to shut off the noise on its own and feel calm and peaceful so that when we want to go to sleep, we can sleep. And I mean these techniques can also be used just to become calm in moments of stress. But um, those were techniques that I, I practiced and I was able to, you know, adjust my sleep schedule where I needed. I, I didn't use a little bit of melatonin, 
um, which is is okay, but in low doses because um, so if if anyone uses melatonin, don't use melatonin. I mean, we we, we recommend don't take melatonin um, if it is less than ten hours from the time you want to wake up. So. Um, melatonin stays in the brain for a long time. And I've seen ridiculous amounts of melatonin usage that people, like people take 30, 40 milligram doses of melatonin and they'll take it and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to sleep faster and then I'll be able to wake up at 6 a.m. Um, and I took it at like 12 a.m. Um, one, you're going to be more groggy the next day. Uh, the melatonin is still going to be in your, in your brain. So you're not going to be able to enter that um, wakefulness state and it's going to mess up your day. So Melatonin is not a, a, a sleep, um, this is not like a sleeping pill, the way that people think about it, but it can be used to adjust your sleep schedule so that your brain realizes that, hey, it is now time to sleep. And so a combination of um, melatonin to adjust my sleep schedule and then training my mind on how to calm down when I want it to was, was really key. And um, both of those are techniques that we, uh, my medical experts help patients with. Is there a specific technique that you use that was effective for you in terms of uh, yes. quieting your mind? There are two techniques that our head physician has designed. Um, so, uh, you know, of course there are many ways to do this, but this is the way that we have found to be the most effective. So for our insomnia patients, this is over 90% effective in treating their insomnia. Um, a combination of cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia and that merged with integrative restoration techniques called iRest. Um, you can also call it yoga nidra. There are um, essentially combining these techniques creates something called sleep therapy or guided sleep meditation. You, you could, you know, it's just semantics at that point. But what you're doing is um, learning how to let things be when it's time to sleep. So there's this concept of letting things go. And when you want to feel calm, you have to let things go. But letting things go is really hard. Um, and it's hard because, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to try to do that. And effort is the opposite of what we want to do when it's time to sleep. Um, th the requirement to sleep is to, to not put in effort. You're, you're literally letting your body um, take control and put yourself into a sleep state. And so um, what these techniques do is they allow you to reflect on what you're grateful for, understand that, um, you know, Th th this is everything that is happening around me. Oh, you know, the fire alarm is going off in the building next to me. The dog over there is barking. And oh, like this, um, you know, there's a fan in my room that's really noisy or something. Or, or hey, it's really, the TV is really bright, um, which you should shut off. But anyway, um, these techniques help train the mind and letting all that stuff just, just be the way it is. Um, you can accept what your circumstances are and find calm regardless of what all the noise is. So, hey, I have all these problems I got to fix tomorrow. That's stressing me out, um, but I can let those be. It's time to sleep and I can take it on the next day. And so, um, th you know, fo following those types of techniques to, to do that with repetition becomes kind of like a little superpower that, um, that is really useful. Do you ever kind of like with that 2 a.m. song where like it's 2 a.m. and I, you know, whatever, we're going to demonetize whatever, but uh, where you're trying <laughs> to, you write it out. Do you ever like when it sounds like really stuck in your crawl to like write it out? It's like, oh, I'll do this tomorrow, like to get it out of your system. Yeah, you should. Um, actually, this is one of my problems that I'm still trying to fix <laughs> is my to do list um, doesn't get shorter. <laughs> so um, I, I have this I have this to do list and it's also where I keep 
notes of like, oh yeah, this. And then I reference it so that I can, I can remember later. Um, and so when something pops up, you know, even at night before I sleep, I'm like, oh yeah, I do this tomorrow or remember this thing. I'll like put it in my app. Um, and, you know, it's problematic because I haven't figured out how to really take control of that to the list um, effectively, but it's useful because I can remember things that in the moment I don't want to do and I can do it later. Uh, what's, is it like you've, like there's so much there that it feels like you're drowning or is it like a matter of like prioritization of the things like, you know, is it possible to describe the to-do list horror that you have? Yeah. Um, so I use, I use an app called AnyDo. Um, it, it's, it's really cool. It's very simple and shout out to AnyDo, but um, it's essentially just a single list. I mean, you can categorize things, but I essentially have a single like column list of um, things I want to remember to do and things that um, I've scheduled that I need to do. And um, the horror is that uh, when I check things off, um, I'll have like two more things added after that onto, the, onto my list. And so um, it's not that I feel like I'm drowning, but it feels like I need to be able to sort them into separate segments more effectively so that I know this is the segment of these types of things that I need to do. Um, and this is a separate segment of other things instead of seeing it all as one large list of stuff that I need to do for my whole life. So the way, the way you describe it, uh, it sounds like it would feel like you're not getting the win of getting things done. So it does, like, there's something like really nice about, you know, like building a clock that works or like getting ahead of schedule or like hitting something and knowing you set things up. So it's really well. And so it sounds like when you have those things and like two more gets added to it, two more gets added to it. You never really feel like you're maybe, I don't know, I'm projecting like I'm, this is a question, but it sounds like it feels like almost like you're, you're not doing the stuff required to be successful. And it like weighs you down, like kind of sounds like a weight to it. Yeah, I'd say that's somewhat accurate. So it kind of feels like there's you're always a little bit behind, I guess yeah. is the way I would phrase it. It's like, um, oh, I'm, I'm always behind. There's always like another fire that I had to put out and another like um, thing that I needed to build that I didn't get to. But I did do some things and they were good. But when I look at my list, I'm like, uh, I, I haven't done enough. <laughs> and so yeah. that, you know, um, how do you manage your lists? Um, how do you manage your to-do? Well, first I would suggest that you should, you're looking at the wrong list. You should look at the list that you got done. You know, at the end of the day, you, should, you know, if you look at what's there, like, of course you're going to feel like shit. <laughs> There's things there, but uh, how do I manage my stuff? Um, I set, I think of things in advance. So whenever, so for a lot, a lot of things you can kind of see coming. So like, there's like um, sales stuff that eventually I'm going to like hire salespeople for the thing I'm building. And so I've already talked to salespeople and kind of had an idea, like who I'd hire, who I'll bring in the process I'll use. And I have it like somewhat already thought out and like mapped out. So when I, when I slide into needing to finalize it, it's kind of like taking something that's a draft and moving into a finalization form and just executing on it. So a lot of times what I try to do is set things up so that as I go into the phase of needing to handle them, like there's things that you need to do every day. So things don't die. And then I think that takes up a rather, in my experience, like a rather small percentage of things that you need to do. And there's things that you can do that are just highly leverageable in terms of getting more things done, getting yourself in a position where you can, uh, achieve more, whether that's getting more sales in, you know, building a team, uh, culture, uh, you know, hiring, whatever it may be, um, building a product like coding, um, 
like, and it's all can be really, really exciting depending on what you're doing. You also should, as like a small caveat, if there's stuff that you're noticing that you're doing, that's not exciting for you, you should try and find someone who's excited about that aspect of it. And then think to like, you know, pop that out and make that a position. But, um, mm. so I look at what I need to do and I immediately put that to like the, my worst time of the day. So like the time of the day where like, I'm like least functional, I'll do that stuff. If I need like today, for instance, I spent three hours on the phone with insurance. <laughs> so oh, that, no. was, that was, that was slotted in to my, I don't give a shit time, but it was needed to be done or I wouldn't have insurance. So, so like there's some needs where it's like, it's not exciting. It just kind of like make sure that the lights are kept on. Like I can keep doing the things I need to do or the company keeps can doing the things that's doing. Um, and then for the rest, I kind of just slot it out for when it needs to get done. So like, I don't, I don't ever really think about things in a master list. I think of things more as like, when is the right time to effectively tackle them? And then there's always like a little bit of extra time. Like I'll be, I'll be working on something like right now we are uh, working on something. I'll have like an idea, like, Oh, you know, this, uh, I can use a for loop in this like thing that I'm building. And I'll just write down for loop over here, like this little brief snippet and I'll put it away and I'll go back to what I'm doing. And so like, whenever I'm working on something, like I have like spurts of ideas that get added and then I put them in where those things are. So my to-do list is more like a to-do process where I take the things I need to do, slot them for the worst times, and then take the things that are really chewy that I can leverage to like actually doing meaningful things that I think is meaningful. That makes me really excited. And I put those in the exciting times and then I schedule them out so that uh, I have time to think them through during breaks of the things that I'm working on now. So that when I get to those mm -hmm. times, they're already thought through enough where it's just kind of executing, refining, like, is this right? Are my assumptions like here are my hypotheses uh, with this new information at the time of doing it? Um, kind of like as an example, you can talk to a lot of customers, but if you say when they're like, oh, I'd be interested in this, it's like, all right, would you... Um, well, to be on the list and to be for it, all you have to do is just put a, a dollar down. And then when it comes out, um, you'll get a preferential pricing. Like just the idea that you'd have to put a buck in it, you'll immediately know if someone's full of shit in terms of liking what you're doing. So I always try to, as soon as possible, make money in the equation in terms of like a customer that are they excited or are they just bullshitting and being polite? Um, you know, similarly, like once you start getting into it, there's like the, there's like a, the real versus kind of immaterial of just, doing it that you'll see that could be entirely different when it's just in your head and that slightly gets solidified and makes better when you write it down. And then as you execute through it, you can kind of feel through it as well. But that's a long way of saying I set things up so that they're easy so that I can leverage my time to be effective. Um, and I think, I think, I think much long-term. So like almost every problem I have, to now until I get like $10 million a month in recurring revenue has basically been thought through. So then it's just executing the day-to-day -day and meeting those milestones as I reach those things. And then I don't look at that as a master list because that's like, oh my God, it's a freaking mountain. I'm never going to get that. But it's like, you can have the little mountains, the little successes. And then you can kind of appreciate them as you go along. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, that seems really useful. But I mean, uh, how did you, um, like, what did it take for you to get there? Uh, was it, are you, do you, do you, are you naturally inclined to kind of set things up that way? Um, or did somebody tell you, hey, do this? Or did you go through trial and error to figure out a system that works like that? Uh, I'm a weird person. I think things through in a way that most people don't think about things. And I've noticed that over the years that I think differently. Um, no one's told me to do this, this is way, but I've built several startups and I've noticed 
that there's a lot of like myths around it in terms of what needs to be done. Uh, like you need to work 90 billion hours a week and you can't sleep and you can't have friends or family or work-life balance. And you have to hide how much money you have left. You have to do all these things. You know, it's like, so uh, I like to look at those things and think, you know, do you really need to do these things? And I just look through them and then I do what I feel is right. Um, it's a, it's a heavy experimentation. So uh, like developing culture, for instance, like that, like everyone has a, as people come in, like they develop that together. And then you can build processes through like two week, you know, trials to see like what actually is like the cornerstone of what people are and how the, the, the processes will be effective. So really it's like, it's the scientific method. I, I constantly have hypotheses that I then build small tests for and then do them. I mean, like if you like really distilled all that I said is that like, I basically build hypotheses and experiments and then try them out. That's really, and that's the scientific method. So like, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's more or less my entire life. I grew up on a farm, which is like, farmers are like the most science e people that you'll probably ever meet, though you wouldn't think it. I've, I've heard actually. So I have a couple of friends who went from um, doing something like, um, I guess, in like an urban environment, like uh, they're doing like cancer research or doing military things. And now they are going into farming or one, one of them is already a farmer but in, in New York. But um, I've like... It, it, I think, um, would, would you ever go back um, to living a farmer lifestyle if, if, that, if, if I could kind of blanket that as like a farmer lifestyle? Is that, is that something you will return to? Sure. I love growing things. It's a lot of fun. And, and there's, a, there's some experiments that I want to do. Uh, on, on the, in like agriculture or on yourself? Yeah. Uh, no, not on myself. I want, well, the, there's some experiments I want to do on animals, but in general, no, there's some things in agriculture I want to do. You got to clarify that for us because when you say I want to do experiments on animals. Uh, so I guess like the probably the most heinous, it's depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> is, uh, I want to see if I can like uptick cephalopod intelligence and see if I can like mm -hmm. artificially induce sentience in a way that like humans would appreciate. So I, you can do some like, cool stuff with like CRISPR and genetic engineer technology. And I've done some stuff with CRISPR in, in terms of like yeast and fungi, which is actually like most people don't play with fungi in terms of CRISPR. But uh, I generally want to see the extent that you, you could make like a super creature out of cephalopoids. But um, on the other side, I also want to see if you could genetically engineer uh, tumbleweeds to have like some form of like, you can think of it like nutrient rich rice. And with a gene drive after three generations, it dies out. And so you could basically chuck those out of helicopters and it would basically provide food for that entire area for three generations. Is that something that people are doing with, um, with seaweed or um, I saw something somewhere about how people are looking at being able to feed entire populations by just uh, effectively planting. Uh, maybe it, it might not have been seaweed, but it was something in the yeah. ocean. Uh, seaweed stuff. Yeah. The, the ocean is a very untapped resources, e e even in terms of like how we overpopulate it, um, um, are depopulating right now in terms of fish and stuff like that. Are there, um, like circling back to your, your startup life, are there, uh, challenges that you've learned from that are kind of like your processes that you like to do now, like kind of similar to me, like thinking ahead and like, you know, having like hypotheses built to test out. Is there, are, do you have processes now that you've, that you use a lot of? Um, well, I, get, I guess in a practical sense, um, I see like 
certain operational things that need to be put in place for me to feel like what I'm building is effective. Um, but so I guess I could be like super specific in this sense where in like a medical, so, so how to is virtual, but it's, it's like a medical, it provides medical grade services, right? Um, and so uh, ha having like systems and like, so I, I guess I, I could, I could um, incorporate medical clinics in, uh, you know, in, in this context where uh, a lot of people who run medical clinics do them in a way that uh, either are built on systems that are outdated or um, don't have effective systems. And from my point of view, like if I'm going to build something, I want effective systems put in place that allow me to iterate on um, you know, how, how things are done and, and, and collect data and then iterate on those and then you know, um, have some way of improving um, what the business is. And medical clinics generally don't have systems in place to have those improvement structures, like collect data, improve, collect data, improve. And so um, th that's something that I did like right away um, with, with Sahatu to Sleep. Uh, I, I should clarify before, so this company technically existed before I joined. I joined at the end of 2019 and it existed as a medical clinic, just like your standard medical clinic. And um, after like one of the first things that I did when I came in was think about how systems work in this medical clinic and what needs to be put in place so that the team is able to operate almost, like really on its own and come up with a way where we can collect data on how well we're doing uh, internally and for our patients so that we know what we need to change as time goes on. And so putting those in place was like my first priority. And that's like required for me to work on a project is I need to have that kind of structure set up because without that, I feel like I can't accomplish anything. I'm just like, yeah, this thing is going on and that thing is going on, but like, what are the, what are those processes and why is it happening that way? And like, why can't we do this to do that? And in healthcare, the culture is such that that type of thinking isn't really uh, encouraged or even um, like supported very often. Most medical clinics are, um, you know, they're, they're just, they are just trying to figure out how to survive in a sense if they're independent clinics and they're usually doctor run. And again, like doctors have limited bandwidth and they can't think about all those types of things from a business perspective. So the medical clinic of the future requires um, systems thinking and business perspective to like improve the care, um, which sometimes is controversial because people say don't think like a business when you're providing healthcare, but I think that's necessary to provide really great healthcare. So um, like creating uh, processes that are really effective in the clinic was one of the first things that I did. And um, that actually doubled our revenue in like four months. And so I, I think that's like, um, that's something that every founder should, if, if that's how they naturally think, should look to do in their business is like, what are the processes that are currently happening? Um, and what can I do to create processes if they don't currently exist? Because there's hidden money in what you're doing. And if you were able to kind of sort them out, um, you know, you, you, you'll be able to unlock a lot of that. Uh, I don't know if that made sense. I, maybe mm -hmm. go over the word. That, that makes sense. It kind of, uh, if I were to summarize it in a quote that I've heard, uh, processes scale, people do not. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Systems run, systems run the business because if you have good systems in place, like 
if you put a team in um, and they can run those systems, like everything will work out. Yeah. The fun thing is figuring out the right systems for the team. So the, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people uh, that develop systems, a lot, a lot of people in general, like uh, I was, I'm not going to name names, but there's like this person I was recently speaking with. And if you're listening to this, I mean this with all the love. I don't mean anything mean by what I'm about to say, but like they had, they were looking at a uh, system for hiring and they basically read a book. They've never really done it before. And so I, I was like, they were like so lockjawed on terms of like using the system. And so I was proposing like, you know, be more experimental about it, look at the data, you know, whatever, even though I've, you know, hired up to 20 and like over the course of three months, I've, I've, I've done hiring a lot and I know like, I, I actively read on the subject. And so, um, like a lot of people sometimes will just go into it with like this, I I've read this, so I'm going to, you know, like copy and paste here, or they've done it one way that it's worked and I'm going to copy and paste this. I'm going to put it there. And I think that's a, a big fallacy that you've also hinted at earlier in this conversation where people look at examples and assume they're them in those situations when really you should look at it as like an homage potential uh, to gather data, shut up phone, uh, to, to gather data, um, to then see like how it could apply to your, to your situation, you know, like biographies and, you know, anything like when someone tells you a story, this, the, the, the thing shouldn't be what well, now I'm going to uh, only sleep four hours a week and I'm going to work a hundred hours. And it's like, maybe that's effective for that individual. Like not everything is individualized and you should experiment to find your best. And so like every team has their best and that doesn't necessarily mean like what you've read or anything available out there. You have to kind of like experiment to find your own way. But uh, I think that's really like a fun thing to do. Uh, that I think I see a lot of people do it wrong where like they just try and carve and copy what's worked in the past versus using that with evidence-based approach to develop something uh, novel in the future that works even better and customized to the fit of the organization. Yep. Well said. Um, yeah. You, you said it way better than, than I could have. Um, I, I mean, w- what I do have to emphasize is just that in healthcare, like this type of thinking doesn't really exist no. <laughs> and it sucks because it is so needed here. Um, you know, I, I'm not like part of the reason is like institutional healthcare kind of t- has really big walls. And if you exist outside of their walls in an independent clinic form, you're just pushed away. Um, no one wants to work with, and like the institutions don't want to work with you. Um, and if you are an independent clinic and you were, you know, if, if you had the, um, if you had the audacity to, to go into the space and do it yourself, like you're, there's so many things that you need to do, um, so many things you need to figure out that um, for some reason, this type of thinking isn't up on the priority list because I guess people are just struggling to figure out how to launch a business in healthcare in the first place. Um, and when they're doctors, you know, that it's tough to be able to do all of those things. Um, you know, there, my, my qualms with healthcare businesses go a long way, but um if, if, uh, I don't know if you've know if you've been following some of these new, like primary care kind of businesses, like forward, um, what's the other one medical carbon health, any of these guys, are you familiar with those? No, they're not popping to mind. What, what about them? What, what, what are they that's drawing your attention to them? So typically, um, so if, if you live somewhere, um, where there's like a doctor's office around you, there, there, there's a doctor who's like, I'm going to launch my own clinic. And they did. And, and, um, now they have a little little office somewhere and they'll see you and take care of your health um, and send your documentation to another physician when needed. Uh, these, they essentially operate as small businesses, but some of these new like primary care models have, um, some of them are membership-based where there's no insurance in the equation. And some of them, um, 
accept insurance and have like a self-pay model included, um, kind of reminiscent, reminiscent of concierge medicine, if, if you're familiar with concierge medicine. And um, what they're doing is basically acquiring a whole bunch of independent primary care clinics and creating like a chain. So they, you have like a chain of clinics which operate differently from a healthcare institution because it's focused um, a lot more on kind of like that patient experience and it's a smaller scale, but they operate more advanced than kind of your standalone small business medical clinic because they have the thinkers and the operational ingenuity to create systems which make the care more effective and the business to be more sustainable. Now, caveat there is that um, at least like some of these startups I mentioned are burning a ton of money. <laughs> like, I don't think, as far as I know, I might be wrong here. Um, fact check this yourself, but as far as I know, none of them are profitable. Um, I think one of them, uh, you know, someone's gonna, someone needs to fact check me and they're gonna correct me and they're gonna be like, no, you're wrong. But I think forward is like billions. Um, like behind with, 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 with like they're, they're underwater. Um, if you're from forward and you're listening to this, don't hit me. I just, I, that's what I last saw. But, um, you know, I think how they're doing things is really interesting is that they're taking a startup mindset, applying it to primary care medical clinics and, you know, how you framed systems thinking and evidence-based approach is, seems like that's what they're doing, but um, it, it's really cool to watch that space because it's different from an independent small business medical clinic. So that, that, that was essentially the point is just this new way of doing primary care that is different from independent clinics and healthcare institutions. Yeah, it's kind of, do you think that the, it's kind of like Amazon or Uber, I don't think Uber has made a profitable quarter yet. But like Amazon has been like, they were like down every quarter for like 10 years and they made a lot of money. Do you think like the reason they're below water, they're just like in that phase? Or do you think there's something fundamentally mm -hmm. wrong with the business model? No, I think I think they're just early. Um, yeah. I have high hopes for what they can achieve, but um, I think the model has yet to be proven. So, like the membership model has yet to be proven, um, and the quality of care has, has yet to be proven. They usually hire. So, you know, if you if, when you shop local, and um, you know who your farmer, if you go to a farmer's market, you know who the farmer is, you know what the quality is, you have a direct relationship um, with these people, and and the level of service you receive is like you know really high grade. Um, the moment you try to create like a franchise system or something like that, um, you lose that connection with, you know, the person you're receiving a service from. And it might not always be at the level that you could get if you went local um, and, and a small scale. So the moment you take it to like a, um, a, a chain of healthcare clinics, the physicians may be, I mean, you know, there's still, there's still physicians who are qualified, but they may not have um, all of the tools and tricks and knowledge that you would be looking for. And um, it's just, it's a different experience. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hate on, like you said, some doctors are just not that good. <laughs> there's a lot of bad doctors out there. And uh, I, I haven't been convinced of the quality of physicians that some of these guys are hiring. Yeah. It's kind of like beggars can't be choosers. Like we're so behind, like we need to, you know, pump out more doctors. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this as well. And then I have some questions regarding like startup founding, but um, the, how, how you see the relationship of like AI and machine learning technology in terms of working with physicians. Uh, my, my, my view in the short term is that it can free them up to do more of the, 
you know, the focus, interesting stuff versus like some of that, like boring stuff. Um, so then we can get like more quality for the quantity we have, but I'm, I'm curious, I feel like you have an opinion of this. Like what, what how do you think things are going to go? So, um, one of the challenges that I've kind of learned in the, while trying to do this is that, um, innovating in the healthcare space is tough, uh, usually because, um, the people that you're wanting to collaborate with, um, don't think like you. Um, in, in the same, in like in the business sense. So like they might not have the operational um, thinking that you may have. They might, for example, back to systems, they might not run their business the way that you think, you know, businesses should run. Um, but the, the other problem to that is like, there's a lot of rules and a lot of these rules are outdated. And a lot of these rules are very strict and can get you into a lot of trouble if you, you know, take a, take a misstep. So innovating in this space is tough. Um, there's when it, it, the, the other side to that is like when a medical office um, accepts insurance, there are very, very specific things that they have to do to try to get reimbursed by that insurance. And a lot of times, like healthcare is, I think, the only business that comes to mind where you could provide all the service to somebody, um, you could do everything, and then you could not get paid and it's okay. Like, it's just, oh, well, well, you know. That's just how it works. You accept insurance and a patient didn't know how their insurance plan works. And, you know, it's just, it's just bad, it's messy on all ends. Like, you know, you provided a service and went to a patient's deductible. They don't want to pay anything because they thought insurance covers it. Um, their insurance plan says, hey, this is in our contract. The patient says, I didn't know this. And then um, the doctor never gets any money and the patient is angry at the doctor. And the insurance company is like, ah, this, that's what happens. <laughs> um, th- th- all, of, all, all of this stuff is so messy that when you try to introduce new things, so if you try to provide a service where a doctor has to read a study, maybe you did a medical test and you could use machine learning and AI hypothetically to interpret this data and come up with a result, um, you like, do I think that could work and do that? I think that would be useful. Yes. But practically, do I think doctors would be willing to do that? No, because they're not going to, they're going to get paid. Doctors are continuing to get paid less and less. Um, but then B, um, there's rules in place that would prevent people t- from wanting to try some of that. So like if someone wanted to use an automated system to interpret test results, for example, um, it would be an uphill battle on all fronts that I, that at least I can see. Like, can that be done? Probably. Um, will it be done? Will it be adopted? I'm not convinced just because of all of the, all of the minutia. Yeah. That makes sense, which is really sad because the, the potential to have some type of like hybrid model with, you know, people working with machines and new technology to the benefit of everybody. Um, I mean, can it like this, it'll be, it's going to be crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there's, there's, yeah. there, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, I, I wonder if this is just a U.S. thing, but there's a lot of people who have to like fly to other countries just to get procedures that the U.S. won't even do. Like I know of someone who went to like South Korea to get stem cells injected to their eyes so they could not be blind. Mm, yeah. Uh, medical worked. tourism is like a whole new world. Um, people going to Turkey and Mexico to get, you know, plastic surgery and stuff like that as well. Like, yeah, Mexico is um, really good for teeth. Apparently dentistry. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I, um, I, I, it, it's 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 a sign of like what people are having. Like 
people doing that is a sign that hey something is wrong here (laughs) there's literally a dentist down the street and they will not go there they will go to mexico because it's more affordable for them and why is it more affordable because of this mess and jumble of things that they're dealing with here Um, inflated costs uh you know confusing insurance plans um it's 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 very confusing and um that deters people away because hey i could just go here pay straight up get this done and i also get to you know enjoy the beach or something and try new culture but um yeah i i, I guess all, all i really wanted to say is just um when, when it comes to actually providing care in the medical world like there's a lot of advancements that people want to make um, but what's holding us back is that doctors are busy and don't have the the drive to try new things because they can't, they don't have the bandwidth in their brain to try new things and the rules are such that if someone wanted to build something that made care better techno- technology wise um, adopting that would be like really tough because medical teams are risk averse because of the rules and the rules themselves are general enough to where if you try to make something new um you might get in trouble and you'll get sued someone someone will say hey you're doing this wrong and and they'll come after you and then your business is done and then you're done um you know one one just random observation i'll note is that in tech you have SaaS products for everything you want to build something in tech you want to build something in like the crypto world you will have an like an entire lego set in front of you of different technologies and you can put these legos together and you can build amazing products like anything that you can imagine in healthcare it's the opposite people have legos people have bricks people have like wood and everyone's trying to connect things together and it doesn't fit like it's different languages they don't work together everything crumples together when you try to attach them um then you try to glue it together and like it's a mess so uh that's there's a, there's a culture change there it's it's interesting because the first health healthcare insurance started as a something that Brismark gave to Germans to kind of take the wind out of the sails of the socialists, and then uh, Teddy Roosevelt brought it to the U.S. during his third his bid to run for the third term as a president at, on our progressive uh, the Bull Moose Party, which he only lost because Taft was a piece of crap. Like people talk about like people stealing elections. Look up what happened to Teddy Roosevelt. It's been over a hundred years, but you know, not long enough. Cause I'm still pissed off. But anyways, the, uh, I'll digress. Like they, they really did steal it. Like everyone wanted to vote for the guy Taft should have just gone to be judge, just, you know, justice and been happy getting stuck in tubs. But, uh, anyway, so, uh, but in the world war two, that's a true story. On world war two, uh, like everything was frozen in terms of, uh, salaries. And so like, you couldn't like, I'll pay a, a buck more a week if you come join me at my factory so I can produce more planes to get more of that defense money uh, because of stuff that was, you know, like they put like caps on stuff. But uh, so what they could do is they went to a bunch of uh, um, doctors and they were like, Hey, if you see our, our, uh, our, our uh, workers, we'll pay you like $10 a month per worker. If you just see them as much as you want. And it was called like a blue shield program or something like that. And so the first one was literally just like a company saying, we'll give you like, like a buck ahead if you just see our, our uh, employees. And that's like the, the genesis of healthcare in the US was just like, we'll give you a dollar. You see them for free. Okay. Mm. And, and now it's like, we, we give you a dollar. 
And then there's like some like abacus with like a Dr. Seussian machine to like figure out like how it works. And, you know, like people can get screwed because they don't understand the contracts and stuff like that, which is funny because the ADA requires that it be no more than like one page, like single, like double spaced with like 12 point font. Like they were so specific in describing it uh, because they knew like it was just so ridiculous. Um, but I think that's just like, it's kind of funny to think about, but how does this all tie into kind of like the web three and your passion for that? Like, I, like there's like such a Venn diagram to you and to the things that you really care about. So I'm curious, like how healthcare uh, ties into, you know, web three and blockchain in general. Um, yeah, I, I will say one more thing about um, the, like the, the rules and stuff in, for um, like insurance <clears throat> in, in the independent clinic world, if you are running your own medical practice, the overhead that you create when working with insurance is obscene. Like if, if you look at the number, like when you are using an EHR, an electronic health record system, you may need to use a very specific EHR and that works in a very specific way and it's very clunky. And this system is required for you to use so that you can have certain documentation done in a certain way um, and transferred in a certain way to other medical providers and insurance providers so that you can get reimbursed for a service that you provide to somebody who has a specific insurance plan. Um, is all of that necessary to provide a great level of care at an affordable cost? No, but the, um, I, you said it was Taft, uh, the era of Taft when when that Blue Shield. Uh, uh, that was uh, FDR, World War II. Okay. And so um, <clears throat> the, the president and, and our culture is such that we know that insurance exists and the general idea is that, oh, I have insurance and that means that I can like get healthcare, but um, one people aren't familiar with the nuances of their health insurance plan. And so when they go to a medical office to get care, they, you know, the doc typically a doctor's office doesn't do a great job of educating someone about what their insurance plan is. But also on the other end, why don't you know what your insurance plan is like? Um, but but then when when a doctor provides the care and bills it to a patient's insurance plan, um, sometimes that insurance plan uh, will say, nah, the documentation wasn't exactly, like this This specific word wasn't used or like um, this uh, documentation isn't sent in the format that we want it to be sent in. So we're just not gonna pay you. Um, and oh, it's been over 30 days. So like, you can't really try to get reimbursement again. Or like you have to pay someone to do this appeals process. And then the person that you're paying is also gonna be the main person that we talk to for like future billing and basically there's this entire like system of overhead that is created that makes the insurance system alive that makes it alive but because people are so used to using insurance doctor's offices are almost like compelled to like just accept that they're going to have all this overhead and um maybe they'll make a successful business and get paid and maybe they won't but it's just like that's the business uh, conventionally so um if you can explain, if you can tell by how I'm explaining it, um, I might not be wording it as clearly as I wanted to, but it's just really messy and it causes a lot of problems on both ends. Um, so I just I wanted to make sure I make that point. But yeah, what um, would um to interject before we go to the question I originally asked, which you know who cares? But the what? How would you? What, if you could, you know, you get to do however you want. You can set up the the insurance industry. Um, how would you do it? Like, are, is there like touchstones that you definitely would want to be a part of it? Yeah, um, I think there is a need. Um, 
I I'm I'm I don't think I'm at the level where I have the clarity on like this is the perfect system. Mm-hmm. But um, there are there are touch points where I'm like those things are good. Um, it would be you know um, so my my startup doesn't accept things like medic. If you're familiar with insurance plans, like medical is um, a way that people get healthcare. I think there should be ways for people to put money into like an account. So I think HSA funds are really cool. Like um, health savings accounts are really interesting. Um, They work for people as far as I've seen. Um, I'm not an expert on HSA funds. So if if you know more about HSA funds, maybe um, you can reach out to us and like tell us how they work. But HSA funds are seem really interesting to me. And um, it is more straightforward and more clear because one, when you're coming, when you're when you were provided a service by a medical office, they can give you straightforward pricing. Like it's transparent and upfront. And it's not like every insurance plan has a specific contracted rate for specific services for a medical provider. And so what one patient pays may be very different from what another patient pays um, or what one insurance plan reimburses may be very different from another insurance plan. But if you have um, something like an HSA account, like you're essentially using self-pay pricing but you know the money that you're using to pay for that has benefit. Like there's a benefits to that account, um, and so something like that I think is really interesting. I think self-pay is more attractive for most. Or I shouldn't say most. A lot of like a lot of self-pay pricing is a better option for certain healthcare services than people allow it. Like think of it to be. So let me phrase it another way. Um, a lot of healthcare that you regularly receive. Would it would be in your interest to pay for that upfront rather than go through insurance? Because unless you're dying um, or you know you have COVID and you're in the hospital for four, you know four months or something emergency wise is happening, um, paying outright for a service for a medical service is can be a lot cheaper. Um, the quality of care can be a lot more um, can, can be a lot better because it'll be faster. There's no bloating of the process with authorizations with insurance providers, certain documentation requirements. And stuff like that. You can, you know, for example, if if I if I give a specific um, case, if someone comes to us and they snore, and we're like, hey, you might have sleep apnea, we could get you a sleep apnea test that you do at home, state of the art, um, like do it for two nights at your own house, in your own bed, and then we have a diagnosis like the next day, and then based off of that diagnosis, oh hey, you have sleep apnea, get you in treatment that same week, and now your health has taken a massive turn within the span of a week like we figured out that you have a problem we can treat this problem in this way and here's the thing that it's going to make your life better and treat that problem effectively and here's what we can do to make that treatment better over time and here's what we can do to objectively measure results over time like we can do a cognitive test and measure how your brain health improves if we want to do all of those things and go through insurance it's going to take weeks (laughs) like um you might have to go to a lab because your insurance plan doesn't take except home home sleep tests so you're going to have to go to somewhere else, like do this whole thing, um, make it really complicated. And then, oh, hey, we f- eventually find out you do have sleep apnea. We can't give you treatment because um, your insurance plan doesn't take this. And it also wants us to do, to do this other thing. And so you're going to have to wait like four weeks before you're even given some sort of a device that helps you with sleep apnea. And then, um, you know, maybe someone will help you because your insurance plan doesn't cover us to help you. You can only go to this specific person that will help you. And, um, you know, the difference in those processes is payment-wise might not be that big, but one is clearly more effective and faster. 
Um, and so going the self-pay route, I think, is something culturally we're not really for in, in, in the U.S., but um, based off of what I've seen would be better for a lot of people. Uh, have you seen that primarily with HMOs or is PPOs the same? Like you see that type of uh, time yeah. to, okay. Um, yeah. Both. Um, it, it does vary. So, you know, if you have like blue, sh- like the reason it varies is because um, the, the patient experience might vary greatly. Um, even if you have a PPO and you just go to a specialist and you're able to be seen, uh, a lot of PPO plans have high deductibles and people don't realize how high their deductible is. And the medical care that they're receiving isn't as that costly. Like you might need to do a test that costs a hundred bucks, but because you went through your insurance plan and it was a PPO and you have a high deductible and the contracted rate that that insurance plan has with that medical provider is higher, you end up paying like $200 instead of $100 for the same test that you could have just paid outright for. And um, is a hundred dollars going to make a big difference on your deductible? No. Cause it's like, you know, multiple thousands or something like that. So um you know, it depends on the specific insurance plan, but PPOs, HMOs, whatever. Um, yeah, the, in a lot of cases, I think self-pay is a better experience. The I've been thinking about healthcare a lot, which is why I have like three books with an eye shot of this camera uh, regarding the subject. And the, you know, interesting, like as an agriculture thing, you know, uh, when at, at a certain point, we didn't have uh, food that would give be given to kids when they're in, in school. And so then we were like, hey, we need soldiers. All right. So the soldiers would come in and boot camp, as you can imagine, most people, it's grueling. It sucks, right? People, gen pop people would go into boot camp and they would lo- they would gain 100 pounds because they would be fed three meals a day. And so FDR and a couple other people, um, it was actually one of the really cool things that they did, but they uh, they put into place these agriculture subsidies so it would help out with the agriculture industry. But more than that, they added uh, lunches to kids' meals so they would have um, all the nutrition they had. And so then soldiers, like when they ever, like the population was just overall more healthy, they're more productive, they're they're happier. I think similarly to healthcare and having like an overall, uh, you know, 100% wellness is similar in that way where it's it's kind of like right now we don't do it to the extent where like people feel comfortable, I'm going to go see a doctor. I'm going to get taken care of. It can be fast and be snappy, like ruminating on what illness you may have as you're trying to figure out what it is. Like I once got a CT scan, the doctor came in and he looks me in the eyes and he says, we found something. And he's been so serious about it. And it's like, he's implying I have a tumor in my head. And he's like, yeah, we found your brain. And I was like, you fuck yourself, <laughs> fuck yourself. <laughs> you, you suck. Um, <laughs> So, what? you know, below average, once again, you know, that's out there. And so I think there's like, <laughs> well, I mean, that's jokes, but yeah. Well, he shouldn't have said it. He should have been like, you're fine. You know, like he just came, yeah. he's like, he implies I have a tumor. And he, he sits it there. He was like, I'm going to get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think there's like an equal argument that can be made to like having like a better system in place because uh, it'd be better for people in terms of like the wellness, their mental health, all these things. And if it was like an, an opt-out system, so everyone had it, you know, organically, and maybe they could like opt into a more expensive system, that was even better. Um, but I think like in, in many regards, like health, health insurance is kind of like scraping the barrel in terms of like what's what's appropriate. And the and the, I suspect that the reason why it isn't like it isn't better is the people who are affected by poor health insurance are usually people who are sick. So how hard like when you're sick, it's really hard to fight like this stuff, like do all this paperwork. 
or when you're old and then you're sick. So you got like both those things going against you. And you know, it's like, it's kind of hard to affect change. So the people who are really getting screwed are the people who are least able to fight back. There's like this really cool guy that I interviewed who um, his, his son got sick and he literally stopped everything he did, ran for Congress and like was spearheaded fixing it. You know, not everyone mm-hmm. can do that though. Everyone would want to. Um, so I think that's like one of those like cornerstones of society that I think if we did better would be overall better for everybody. So then how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Right. But um, yeah, so I'm curious, web, web three and healthcare. Web three. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm really sorry. I, 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 there's just one, one more thing, which is, um, you know, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I just, I just slipped my mind. Anyway, healthcare it comes back to me. Uh, yeah. Healthcare. Uh, there was something that I was going to say. Anyway, maybe it'll come back to me. All right. But um, yeah, so w- when it comes to Web3, um, it's very different. I know it's very different from healthcare. Uh, the whole, the culture is different. Um, oh, I guess like, are- as, as like a bookend, because listeners, you know, listening might not know, what is Web3? And like, how do you mm-hmm. fit it into what you're doing? Um, so I just remember what I was going to say. I'm, I'm just going to say one thing <laughs> about the healthcare thing. It's all then, good. And then, and then I'll define Web3. Um, Insurance is tricky. Medical care is tricky. Going back to the very first question that you had for me at the beginning of this podcast, if someone's been listening all the way through, or if this is cut into pieces, just the first question you asked was about like what the three things in my LinkedIn bio mean. Um, I want to try to come up with a solution that helps people more effectively and gets rid of all this confusion, confusion stuff, right? Um, in the cases of like people who are extremely sick, this may not apply perfectly, but um, how can I create a system that allows people to get the care that they deserve with the, with, with the quality that, you know, that, that they deserve and the frequency that they deserve um, or that they want. And so, I, you know, all, obviously I don't have a solution, but I'm trying to test and experiment and see what might help people and creating that structure of like medical care merged with health tech, merged with health coaching and maybe paying like a membership fee to access all three all the time is something that I want to be able to experiment with and, and I'm still tinkering on and, and trying to figure out. So, um, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's going to work for people. I don't know what's going to fix healthcare. I wish I did, but um, I'm trying to come up with ways that might make a difference or might give me some feedback on what will, will, what will work. So I'm um, coming up with a system that merges three different versions of getting help with their health is something I will think is, is worth, um, is worth working on. So that, that's, that's, you know, no, if, if no, you have, I, yeah. Yeah, if you have thoughts on like how the future of healthcare should work and you're listening to this, like reach out to me. I want to hear what your thoughts are. Um, like I, I want to hear Lowell's thoughts on how you think this should work and what solutions could be, but um, we kind of have to fuse our minds together to come up with better solutions. Yeah, I, I was going to ask a follow-up on this, which is like, what are some ways that other specific avenues that you really like people to help out with? Sometimes like a, a broad ask uh is like a good primer, but, but if you can like prime them with like a specific avenue that you're really curious about, like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. Like maybe that like can galvanize people listening in. And then if there's like a specific avenue to contact you that you would appreciate, like, you know, Twitter or whatever, like where, where can they find you when they do have an idea to solve one of the things that you're about to say? Um, so, I mean, one of the main things I want to help with in the health context is, is like figuring out how people want help with their sleep. Um, that's, that's my, that's really one of the main things I want, like sleep is so important to me already that, um, creating a solution that elevates healthcare focus first on sleep is like what I want to solve. So if you have, um, thoughts on like how you want to get help with sleep and where you, 
what what qualms you have with currently how you improve your sleep. Um, I want to know those. And if you've experienced help um, with your sleep in some way, it could be anything. Like it, it could be everything from like, oh, I took like um, I, I took this medication. I hope that wasn't the thing, but oh, I took this medication or I went to this person and this turned everything around for me. I want to hear that. Um, and that's going to help me develop something that is, is, is really comprehensive. So um, if you have feedback on your experience and you're, you have feedback on what you like about your health experience or your, your process of improving your sleep, that's the type of stuff um, I, I want to hear about. And anyone can email me at um, J-I-B-R-A-N at S-E-H-A-T-U.com. That's Jabran at Sahatu.com. Or you could just look me up on LinkedIn or Twitter or something. Um, and, and that would work. But um, yeah, that, that, so I guess that's, that's, that's all the health stuff <laughs> uh, completed, I guess. But would you also be interested in hearing what it's like for a loved one who, who's experiencing yes. their significant other going through these types of problems? So like, you really want to have like the whole like the whole sphere of it. So if, if someone, you know, has gone through it, like, what was it like, you know, what was life for you? What was life for them? How would you like to dream to make it better? What were the things you hate? Like really just, you know, anything involving this where you were thinking about your sleep that really, you know, either pissed you off or you loved or like someone about your loved one, like those are avenues you want to hear. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent, like in the case of insomnia and sleep apnea, bed partners, um, observe this oftentimes before the person who's experiencing the symptoms and, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, they are part of the process of, of that person's treatment when, and if they get on treatment and I want to hear all of those things. And actually, so, um, this is kind of a spur thought, um, for, I, I don't know if this is going to work, but for the first, like five people who give me feedback and email me or like message me somewhere and give me feedback about their experience, I'll send you like $20 worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and if you don't have a Bitcoin wallet, I'll just Venmo you or cash app you or something. So, um, but if you want, I would suggest the Bitcoin. But I'll, I'll literally send you Bitcoin for your feedback um, uh, for the first five people. Sweet. Awesome. I'll, I'll make sure to clip that specific section <laughs> and put it everywhere. <laughs> so you'll yeah. get like, you know, a bunch. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, I'm not a, I have not gotten any uh, blockchain technology, you know, coinage, though I thought the Dogecoin was really funny. Um, Cause like, I don't know, like it looked weird, but so what, what is like, what, you know, you make the offer and you say, Hey, I'll, I'll give you a uh, uh, Bitcoin. And you, you said you, you'd suggest that, but I think recently, like, isn't everything been going down? Look at the last 10 years and then, and then tell me. <laughs> okay. So, so, so yeah, I mean, um, every, every couple of years people are alarmed about, Oh, Bitcoin is at this new low. Um, oh no, it, it, it crashed to $3. A couple of years later. Oh no, it crashed to three hundred dollars. A couple of years later. Oh no, it crashed to three thousand dollars. A couple of years later. Oh no, it crashed to three thirty thousand um, dollars. I don't. I don't know about you, but I see a trend there. Um, and so <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, um, there, there's, there's, um, that's, you know, the 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 sh short term day to day like movements um, in Bitcoin's USD price. I think are uh, negligible frankly, um, which, you know, I, I, I do want to, you, you mentioned Web3 a couple of times, so I do want to touch on that because um, I, I, I didn't mean to ignore that. No, um, no, good. Like, I'd rather the conversation go organically. That's just like one thing I had written down. Yeah, yeah. I um, So like uh, Bitcoin is part of this Web3 like term. And um, a lot of people like wonder like, what is Web3? And like, why does it matter? And 
Um, the reason I like to talk about this is because my interests are basically divided currently in my life into two segments. One is health, like how can I make healthcare better and how can I help people improve their sleep and how, what can I do in the sleep space? And then two, um, where is the next era of the internet and how does this affect the world? How does this affect our daily life? What does this change when it comes to how people make money, how people um, work, how people run their governments, all that stuff. And all of that is going to change. Um, and, and people should know that this, that this change is coming. And so what Web3 refers to is kind of this next stage of the internet. Um, and it helps to define Web1 and Web2 for understanding what Web3 is. So um, I think it was, you can fact check me, but I think it was 1994 or 1995 when the internet became commercially available. Um, so before that it was private, but um, somewhere in, in the mid 90s, the internet became um, available for, for public use. And in, by, by the year 2000, most people had heard about the internet, few people were using it. But um, the first stage of the internet was like being able to share information. Like I could put up a page and say, hey, um, dogs like this type of things, dogs don't like these types of things, like welcome to my page about dogs. And that was really cool and useful because now I could be in some place where no one knows about dogs, go on the internet and be like, wow, now I know something about dogs. And, um, you know, as the 2000s move on, um, we get to kind of more advanced use of the internet where people can now provide services. Businesses can be on this thing called the internet and they can, you know, deliver food to you. Or like there's a chain of services that happen in the background and I can like click a button and have something delivered to my house. And all of that happens um, without me really having to interact with it. I just kind of like use the internet to like make that happen. And that's basically centered around businesses, central entities um, taking my information, having their services created and then providing that service to me in the real world or digitally. Um, and that, that it just happens. And so the next version of the internet is Web3 which really is composed of a couple of different components. Um, one, like, I like, like there's no really standard definition, I don't think, but what I like to incorporate in Web3 is AI, quote unquote, um, or machine learning, um, automation, and um, blockchain technology. So what this means is that um, Web3 refers to how central entities will be replaced by decentralized entities. So you have centralized companies, replaced by decentralized protocols. So instead of a business providing a service, you may have a protocol where um, certain features that you want are provided by certain businesses, but the way that everything is being run is being done in a way that involves less central parties. So um, that that might mean, um, let, let, let's, let's take a look at a city. I love cities. Like I think smart cities are really cool. And the notion of a smart city is like, um, I live in this place and there's data points being collected. Like there's sensors everywhere. Like um, the, the city is collecting how many people walk across the street. There's, they're tracking how many times this trash can is full. They're tracking how high the water level goes up and down if you're on the coast. But nothing really happens with this data automatically. It's like it goes to a bunch of analysts and they're like, cool, this is our data. Here's a graph showing what the water went up and down. Um, but what the next stage of the internet, what technology allows us to do, this new technology, is we can auto, we can create um, systems in our city that automatically respond to this data collected. So there's a term called the responsive city, 
uh, which I think was coined, um, I forgot his name, but it's, um, there, there's a gentleman at ETH Zurich. It's a, it's a school in, um, in Zurich that specializes in like studying cities. And so it, um, with Web3, with the technology that allows you to automate things, um, you can take data that is being collected and have computers create a decision based off of that data collected and execute that decision. So, hey, water levels are rising or like trash can is like really full. Send somebody to that trash can or like empty that trash can and put it into this like waste management system. Um, and all that stuff happens automatically, like without a human having to go in and like do something. Um, I, like what, what we're also seeing in Web3 is that you can use um, services online without having to rely on a central party to make that service happen. So if I want to sell something to somebody, I can go directly to the market, not have to pay. Um, for example, if you're on Amazon and you're a seller, you have to pay Amazon, you have to pay like credit card fees, you have to do all of these things. Um, if I have a item that I want to sell, people can look at the blockchain and on an interface that makes me think I'm just looking at a regular website. So I'm not actually having to figure out what the blockchain is. And I can determine that you're trustworthy. There's, these are verified reviews. I can see that you have this amount of services that you provide and I can pay you for that service directly. And on the seller side, I can provide the service to you directly. And I know um, that you know I, I'm going to be able to do this quickly and effectively and get paid for it without having to work with a bunch of intermediaries like um, the bank and the credit card processor and um, somebody who markets my product and, and all that type of stuff. Um, so there's a lot of ways, I guess, to, to frame Web3, but I hope that gives like a little bit of background as to like what this is like. Yeah. So the previous hundred years were about centralizing things and you're thinking the next hundred years is about decentralizing them and making them extremely redundant and personalized. Yes. Um, like open source work has been a trend for the last, like since the internet was around, but the future of internet allows us to like, make everything open source and make it convenient and usable, um, which which has been different so far because businesses have, like Microsoft, for example, eventually adopted Linux and like sold you products that uses open source material. But now we can have open source um, technology continue to be like, like you interact directly with the open source technology instead of having to go through a business that um, is closed and owns all the information and data that you're interacting with. So um, there's there, there's a lot being done in this space that um, I, I guess my main takeaway here is uh, if I said anything so far about Web3 that is like, oh, wait, that seems kind of interesting, like look it up and, and just be like, yeah, this is happening. I understand that this is happening um, and, and it's it's worth like looking into. So one, one of the other things that I do is I, I'm an organizer for like events and conferences in the space and um, there's like a lot of information uh, out there and I know it can be tough to learn about this type of stuff, but if you go on YouTube and type in some of these words or you go on Meetup or Write and type in some of these words, I guarantee you, you will find something that is reliable and trustworthy um, and, and you can learn about what's going on in this space because it affects every industry um, that, that, that exists, like uh, commerce, healthcare, you know, uh, cities, everything. Similar to the idea that like sometimes there's bad information out there. Um, are there areas and, 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 you know, books, resources online, 
specific conferences that you'd recommend people check out? Um, so they can kind of so, like sift through the bad to just go with what you know kind of is good as a primer. Yeah. Uh, uh, so a few people, I'll, I'll just mention a few names um, in the space. So I'll, I'll, name a, I'll name a few names and also name a few like brands. So a few names, um, Andreas Antonopoulos is like, if, if you're in the crypto space and um, you are working in the space, you owe some level of thanks to Andreas Antonopoulos. Like, he's been teaching us for free for longer than most people have understood that crypto is a thing. Um, on, on the other end of the spectrum, like Balaji Srinivasan is a great resource. Uh, he is, um, he's, he's, he's eloquent, you know, I'm not the most eloquent person. So he's, he's eloquent, he's knowledgeable, um, and uh, he, he's a great reliable person. Um, let's see. Uh, you, if you're more technical or you're interested in more technical things, um, Jameson Lopp, L-O-P-P, fantastic person to, to look to. Um, on the technical spectrum, like that, you should start there, absolutely. Um, in terms of like brands or, or, or companies, uh, just like your the names that you've heard of are probably trustworthy. So like Coinbase has great educational materials. Abra has great educational materials. Even like companies like Cash App now have great educational materials. So um, the information is there uh, and there's no excuse not to like look at it. No matter what industry you are in, expect for technological change to affect how your industry works in the future. Even in healthcare, that is usually 30 years behind, will change because of this shift in technology. Um, you know, thing, you know, governments and, and municipalities are run very slowly, but things like having uh, municipal records on a blockchain so that they are accessible and you're not having to pay someone to get, like, go look up something and then bring it to you, um, that change is gonna happen where you can just access it online and everything is instantly verifiable. Um, so uh, uh, basically the emphasis was um, know that this is happening in, and go learn, please. Mm -hmm. Well, it, uh, originally grocery stores where you walked in, said, excuse me, sir, I would like A, B, and C. And the person went behind the counter and got it for you. And they thought it would piss people off if they did it themselves. But no, mm. it's actually quite efficient if you just go do it themselves. And now you can mm. just go click it and put it in your cart on the internet. And uh, eventually maybe you can just go straight to the person who makes it. Um, mm -hmm. So do people know who made Bitcoin? Is that a thing? Do people know oh, who made it? So, I was reading online and they were saying that like they, because I did a little, I do, you know, reading a little bit about everything, but like, like do, do people really not know who made Bitcoin? Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can, you can have, um, you can have like, you can make a deduction, uh, but there's no one knows. And it's a good thing that no one knows. Um, the, the special thing about, so the special thing about Bitcoin is that, um, over the course of the last decade, from a financial point of view, nothing has been better. Um, from like a technological point of view, it's proven so many ideas um, like in Austrian economics and around like how money can work. And it's proven that like it can work. I think with like over a 99.85% uptime rate, that might not, it might be higher. Um, nothing has had a better uptime, uptime rate than, than, than Bitcoin blockchain. Like Google, Facebook, your government, um, it's all failed and stopped at some point, and the Bitcoin blockchain has remained running effectively with the architecture that it was uh, that it was created. So, um, who created it? Uh, I don't know. Does it matter? Not really, because um, 
it's changed in the last decade. Uh, well, it's been over a decade, but um, what it proves is that the collective can make something work that doesn't, doesn't require you to trust any single person or single authority and doesn't require you to um, you know, have uh, like any sort of, well, like right now it's still early, so you do need to have some special knowledge, but it doesn't, the, the interfaces and the technology is becoming such that soon you won't have to have any special knowledge to interact with this cool new technology. You will just be able to like use it just like you use your Starbucks like reward points, something like that. Um, but I think the future lies in being able to use blockchain and specifically Bitcoin technology just automatically um, for the masses without actually having to know how it works. But you will reap the benefits because um, there won't be, depending on what industry you're interacting with, there won't be a bunch of bloating and third parties that are kind of between you and getting the thing you want done. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So I want to respectfully your time. I know we're coming up to the end. Um, so I think I have four, I have four final questions, which in of itself means that they're not final questions, but the, um, so you, in our preamble for this, you talked about how you love martial arts. And I think that's such a really <laughs> cool thing. And so I, I just, um, I was curious to hear, you know, what you get from it. What martial arts do you specifically, are you specifically into? And then like, what would you recommend for, you know, someone who hasn't done martial arts, like how, how would you recommend they go about feeling out which, which way is the best way for them? Mm. Cause there's so many out there. They don't know, you know, like jujitsu, you know, who knows, but it depends on the person. Um, So I guess like in a lot of ways, part of this is self-awareness and part of this is experimentation. Um, So I, 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 I've trained in Kenpo karate. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of like a specific type of karate, but um, I've also played with mixed martial arts and I've done some weapons training, but um, how did I figure out like what I like Uh, recently, what I've been getting into is Qigong. I know it's not technically like an active martial art. It's it's a little bit more meditative, but um, the way that I figure out um, what I like and what I don't like, if you're listening to this and you're interested in, trying something either for personal fitness or just to be active and, or try something new. Um, it's to just, you know, one, I liked watching videos about different things and be like, Oh, this is what this type of martial arts looks like. And then this person is an expert in that field. This is how they talk about it. No, that seems too violent for me. Yes. This looks really interesting. I like the ethos behind this art versus that one. Um, like Krav Maga, very violent, very different philosophy, you know, compared to something like Shaolin. And, um, you know, that's very, that's very different compared to something like, um, like jujitsu or, you know, or boxing. And depending on your personality and depending on how, you know, um, how you like, how people talk about um, those different arts, you might be drawn to one more than the other, but you never really know until you just try it. And a lot of people might like try something and be like, ah, there's nothing and, you know, you might try something and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, I'm not really sure why I like it yet, but it seems interesting. So let me just keep trying it. Um, and eventually, you, you know, find the benefits uh, depending on what you're looking for. It, I, don't, I don't think people should look at martial arts as like a, like, I think people should just be open to trying martial arts because they aren't looking for a certain thing. 
but are able to um, are, are able to just take it as it comes based off of how it fits their lifestyle and what their personality is like because um, it's not like it's not like you're training to fight or anything don't look at it from that point of view so so it sounds like you suggest that people should active use their mirror neurons go on youtube <laughs> cycle through like this is what it would feel like if i did this you know you know take those imaginary you know basketball shots and then uh you know kind of see how it would feel with you because the cool thing is if you imagine it it's like the same it's like you're doing it so like activate those mirror neurons and try it out online and then when you, when it sparks just go try it out um yeah. most of them are pretty affordable try out like they'll either let, let you do it free the first time or it's like a 100 bucks or something like it's usually a nice deal for new people yeah i mean uh i mean in this day and age you can learn from people virtually too um in person obviously has amazing benefits but um like I, i've heard of people who were like oh yeah i saw this thing in an anime and then i looked it up and i was like oh wait this is kind of rooted in something real and then they looked at that and went down the rabbit hole and were like oh wait i actually want to learn this for real like the actual art and not just like what it was showing in the anime um and then i've heard of other people who are like oh yeah i watched a random youtube video this looked really cool or like you know it might be spur there might be something in you it's like i want to learn how to have self-defense or i want to learn how to have discipline and maybe going to the military isn't for me but i want to like I want to find some way of creating physical discipline and this art resonates with how I think and also provides me this level of discipline and, and self-improvement that I really like I get joy from. And so um, there's a lot of ways to do it and there's no wrong or right way. It's just do what you like based off of what seems interesting to you, but give it a fair chance. Um, just like, just like anything in life, like, uh, uh, allow yourself to really get immersed in something before deciding that you don't want to do it. Makes sense. So, um, what for, in terms of your company personally, this can really open to the level of vulnerability you want to go here, but, uh, what is, what is a problem that you would love help with that someone listening in can shoot you stuff? I know we've talked about a few so far, but this can be anything right now. I'd say on this, like most of my time is currently being focused on figuring out like a hybrid model for healthcare. Um, going back to my incentive for people to give me feedback, um, like that's something that I need help with. Um, I mean, in, in a non like day-to-day -day sense, um, I've been really like, I've been thinking a lot about just like nature and uh, you know, the, like, um, I think it was, um, who was it? It was, there was, um, there was a pre-Socratic, uh, philosopher and I forgot his name, but he said, uh, nature loves to hide or something like that in Greek. And, um, you know, that was referring to so, something about like how, like the laws of our existence, um, really like obscure a lot of the times and like uncovering those laws is a challenge. And I don't know why they're a challenge but th they are. And um, it'd be really cool if anybody who's listening has, or even actually, if I, I, you might have recommendations. If you have thoughts on how to uh, systematically like uncover those types of like universal laws of our existence and figure out like why things are the way they are. Um, that's something that I've been thinking about recently. And I want help in like figuring out why things are the way they are and how I can learn about them and make them not invisible to me because it's hard to figure those things out. Yeah. 
And is it the all of the universe or is it a specific like area industry? Um, just life in general, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it seems like life is governed by certain rules and it sometimes it feels like it's hard to figure out what those rules are and how they work. Um, but it's possible to figure out what they are, but I have a hard time like uh, f- figuring out what they are and why, like why and how they work the way that they do so that I can like, once you know what the rules are, you can kind of do things that make it easier for things to happen. I know that's the general way of saying it, but, yeah. um, but like, this is totally different from what we were talking about, mostly because um, lately they've been on my mind a lot and I'm trying to make sense of everything. So maybe I'm having a, uh, uh, a quarter life, quarter, was it a quarter life crisis? <laughs> yeah, you probably live to a hundred. I don't know, if, or beyond that. I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. I think I'll be done by 85. I don't know. I don't know what people do when they're past <laughs> 60, you know, like I'm, I'm almost 30 and I'm just like, I don't know. I'm going to like achieve everything I wanted to achieve by like 32. Like I just so I have to like invent new things to do, but, um, so I hear you, uh, how to rip off the, uh, the face of nature and stare into the eyes of God. So that's, you know, how to do that. Um, so if anyone knows how send us an email, uh, I have ideas, but I'm going to answer <laughs> it in an email because uh, we're short on time. <laughs> so the yes, yes. last thing is what is a question Never mind. You just answered it. You just did it. So I'm going to biff that one. What are some books that you'd recommend people check out? Writing, writers, you name it. Um, so uh, I like writers that are kind of from the turn of the century, end of the 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and uh, I, I know you're a fan of like um, fiction as well, I think. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. I read anything so, for the most part. I read rom-coms um, sometimes too. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so I think your your um, your like your uh, reading list is a lot more varied than than mine. But um, in the like the books that make a big impact on me that I wish more people read were um, Frederick Bastiat's works on economics. Uh, if you just look up Frederick Bastiat, I think his works are incredible. They're really formative for how I think about how economics works. Um, I actually dropped out of school for my very first startup. And so uh, learning about how just stuff works kind of depended on me reading from people who had these original ideas. Um, Also, uh, I think back to the last thing I said, trying to figure out how nature works. Um, I thought James Allen was a really great writer. Um, He, like the way... um, the way that he writes just clicks with my brain. So I'm able to like understand to some degree what's being said and his works have made a huge impact on me. So like for founders and for like people trying to improve themselves just generally, um, I think like studying yourself and creating self-awareness and understanding like how like the value of life and how it works, it comes first before a lot of the like more technical type of books, like how to do this or how to do that. And so like understanding life for me, like books that talk about that um, are, are way more impactful. So writers in that space are a lot more impactful. So I say James Allen, uh, Emerson, it's like, uh, like uh, um, I, I haven't gone through all of his essays, but uh, Emerson's essays are fantastic. And um, I'd say in economics, I'd say Henry Hazlitt and Frederick Bastiat may, have made a huge impact on me. And I'm still trying to read like their works over and over again so I can understand how Bitcoin works and how it, like why that stuff works. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So in that, in that vein, I have a recommendation and then we can uh, wrap up the uh, 
Manster's Remaining by Victory Frankel. I think you love that. Um, when was it published? Let me look it up. Most likely post World War II. He wrote it in a concentration camp. Oh wait, is this the? Is this? I think you've recommended this book to me. Yeah, I recommend I it. Already... Yeah, you know, yeah, oh, check it out. Yeah. It's like a hundred pages. It's really nice. Yeah, I, I think I already purchased it as well. Hold on, let me see. What was the name? Uh, Man's Search Remaining. I think you recommended this to me, and I ordered it, and it's on my list. So currently, I'm reading. Um, um, I'm reading a book from a uh, from Pierre Hadot. Um, it's about uh, it's it's about the veil. It's called the Veil of Isis. It's not Isis the, the terror group. It's Isis the goddess. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's referring to just like again the theme of of nature and uncovering like why nature is opaque. Uh, but but um, the book that you just recommended, I, I'm pretty sure I ordered it on Amazon. I'll be getting to it soon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really good. It's very short, and it really gets to what is the meaning of life. Literally. And and and. Um, do like this is your number one recommendation for for what you just said yes okay i will i mean i'll read it next um yeah. hopefully maybe i'll send you my thoughts and, and you can you can tell me if what i got out of it is similar to what you got out of it yeah we can we can everyone who's read this book we will have there's like we'll have like a hangout we'll all come together and we'll have like a book club about it or something we'll, we'll start a reddit we'll do something so that everyone can share their thoughts we can we can yeah. uh gain insight from each other's perspectives That'd be awesome. All right, sweet. Um, So the last thing is kind of a little bit on you. You can leave us with a quote. You can leave us with a thought. You can leave us with your your website, www. In which case, I won't do it in our preamble. But it's kind of up to you. Uh, What is the last thought you'd like to leave the listeners with? And thank you very much for being on the show. I apply. Um, Yeah, so I I guess just my final thoughts. I, I don't have anything specific, I don't think. But... I want to say thanks to Lowell for having me on. I, I know I'm not the most, um, not like a, I'm not a doctor. So uh, a lot, of, a lot of the other, if you if you got on this thinking there was going to be another doctor or another like um, scientist or academic, uh, I apologize. You have to listen to this. <laughs> um, the second thing is I hope something I said um, was either relatable um, and useful in that way, or was new information and was useful in that way. Um, that's that's really. All that I was hoping to to, to do here, um, aside from having a great conversation with, with Lowell. Um, so if, if either of those things happened, awesome. Let's celebrate together. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, like, thanks for listening, guys. Um, thank you, Lowell, for having me here. Uh, this was fun. Um, yeah, if you have trouble with sleep, look up Sehatu on any platform that you're on, and maybe we can get some help and, and at least teach you something. And that was Gibran. I would uh, encourage everybody to reach out, try out his service. And at the same time, you know, just follow him on Twitter or uh, look at him on LinkedIn. He posts a lot of really great links, just, you know, understanding sleep. And uh, even if you don't buy the service or whatever, it's really nice to just see what he has to say and share and stuff like that um, as a thank you, because he puts a lot of uh, effort and energy into his content. And that's something I really appreciate. So thanks everyone for coming out today. Uh, remember to check us out at learningwithfold.com or anywhere that, you know, shows can be found. And I'll see you guys next week.